Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on January the 18th of 2018. I am Nick. This is Chris. And uh, this is a this is going to be a weird week of, of manga. But uh, why is it going to be weird, yeah. Nick? No reason. Uh, I'm sure it will be perfectly normal. And uh, that uh, if we were to put up images, we wouldn't be visited by people wanting to know what the fuck is wrong with us and uh, bring us in for questioning. Uh, now, when you say images, what, what are you referring to? Nothing. Uh, I'm sure that everything will be perfectly normal as we go through this, the, the chapters this week. Everything, everything will be normal. Everything copacetic? No weird images yeah. or anything like that? Nothing weird. Okay. Nothing. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, hey, uh, before we start the show, we don't okay. normally do things like this, but I want to give a special thank you to a friend of ours. I want to give a thank oh. you to Brennan, who Glock3BB, some of you might know him. He's a good friend of my show. He sent me something for my birthday. It's something that I didn't ask him to, just out of the goodness of his, his Christian heart, he decided to send me something. And it is a, if you can't see it right here, this is an Osamu, uh, I don't know if you call them action figure. Some of those. Um, but, but, a, but a figure. Yeah, fig- plastic, fi- fig- figure, plastic figure of uh, everybody's favorite best boy, uh, Osamu. You can oh, see him right there. Oh, he's got there. a little Trion cube and a Yeah, Regus. he's got his little Regus. So now, thanks to this, Brennan, I can finally live out all the fantasies that I've been always wanting to do. Like, oh, look, it's Osamu meeting oh. Nami. And the two of them just, mwah, 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 mwah. Oh, God, head fell off, Nick! <laughs> Luckily... <laughs> It didn't land in this my This is what teeth. happens when we don't pre-tape our skits. <laughs> Magic but is what happens. It's just, it pops right back on, I'm sure. <laughs> Fucking Nami and your giant breasts make it hard to put your head back on. There we go. See? And then they can go right back to just making out as they normally were. It's perfect. Nobody so, sent Chris a Gitora head or else you know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, this is one step closer. One step closer. One step closer to a real life, uh, a world trigger to my heart and back door. Okay. Also, nobody sent him socks and only socks, like hey, figurine size socks. I actively need socks at this point. So if you want to send those along. Cool. If you want to send him normal socks, it's fine. But yeah. don't send him figurine socks for. Or yeah. uh, like uh, if you send me a Kitora uh, figurine, whatever, uh, send along a, a, a similarly sized New York Giants jersey. Uh, prefer- <laughs> preferably from like the 2008 season when they were really good. Um and not the current season. How the fuck? Do he doesn't stand on his stupid stand. All right, Osamu, you don't get to stand. Thanks, Brennan. You got me a fucking piece of broken junk, you shithead. No, thank you, Brennan. So there we go. All right. Let's start. It's like doing like a hard cut from his like, oh, I think he did have the good of his Christian art two minutes later. You piece of shit. It doesn't immediately fit onto the base. How am I supposed to stand it up? It's all junk now. Worthless junk. Oh, man. I still have something I want I want to talk a little bit about before we move sure. in. Is it uh, also about the 50 polls you put up? The 50 polls I've been putting up on Twitter. I've been doing like three a day. Um, and if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm directing that specifically to you. Nobody Me? else. Okay. I mean, I, I made it as I a said, joke. Qualifier. <laughs> but... Uh, I w- had this thought in my head that was something that I've been thinking about for a while. And as part of uh, the thought process that I was going through, I was like, I wonder what people think of a certain set of movies from a very specific time period. So I put up a couple of polls on Twitter. Like, what do you think of this animated film from like 99, 2000, 2001? 
and I did that for a couple of them that I was specifically curious about. And I got some interesting responses from people, so I kept on doing it, and I'm just still doing it now. Um, and uh, a, a couple of them have been interesting because not because of the results that I've gotten, where it's like, oh, more people liked, for example, you know, the uh, uh, more people liked, you know, the Road to El Dorado or the Emperor's New Groove or whatever, you know, from that time period than I thought that they might, um, because people are entitled to their own opinions and stuff. What's been interesting is the way that some people have been reacting to the polls. So, like, so you're like, how could people not like Treasure Planet? <laughs> it's like, very easily. <laughs> you know? I, I'm like, look, is there an option for I've never seen this movie because it looked boring? Because that's no, what Treasure... because Twitter will only let me give, <laughs> put up four options on the poll. Because <laughs> I'm saying that's what I would answer to Treasure Planet, certainly. Like, Treasure Planet just always looked boring. It is boring. <laughs> Tangent, quick one, but my friend Frank, uh, I went to his place uh, for a New Year's Eve, and I was, like, looking at his game collection. I was like, Treasure Planet, why do you have that? And I remember he, like, was like, shh, no, my that my uncle and aunt bought that for me, and they're standing right there. I was like, I guarantee they don't even remember that they bought you this game. Probably. They probably were just like, this has a cartoon on it. I'm sure Nerdy Frank loves his cartoons. Let's buy him Treasure Planet. I'm, so, I'm sure they weren't like, do you think he loved Treasure Planet? Do you think he loved PS2's Treasure Planet? PlayStation 2's Treasure Planet. I don't, I, I don't even know if it was PlayStation 2. I feel like it was, but it could have been an earlier con- uh, PS1. PlayStation 2, that would have been right around the same, the right time, because that was like 2003. Yeah? Yeah. God. I can, there's some movies that you hear that's like, get a video game time, and it's like, why? How? <laughs> Chicken Little, I remember almost exclusively oh from its video game tie-ins. Or Meet the Robinsons, where you're like, this was a movie? And you're like, yeah, I guess it was. Oh man! I feel like I took you off your original tangent, though. No, you know? no, no. That's that's fine. Like the weird memories that I think it's. I love it is because of you know a lot of the people who listen to our sh- our show are you know right around our age. So there's that nostalgic feeling associated with movies that really deserve don't deserve to have nostalgic feelings surrounding them. Except for Mortal Kombat, which I believe we've <laughs> all again agreed is just a solid movie through and through. <laughs> Guys, I, I'm sorry that you like Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. It's not good. <laughs> so we did the same thing a few years ago with Space Jam. Do you remember when people made a bajillion remixes of that of that theme song? That's not a good movie. I love it, but it's a terrible movie. <laughs> I think I recall, like, even as a kid being like, that wasn't a good movie. Like, as a kid, you were like, that was kind of garbage. I, I, it got carried pretty heavily by the fact you had cartoon characters interacting with Michael mm-hmm. Jordan and Bill Murray showed up at the end of it. So that was pretty cool. But, like, even as a kid, I was like, it's kind of a dumb movie. I think that if we go through every movie from our childhood, though, we're going to uh, forget well, that, to talk about the manga. That's so. true. We'll also have to start up a separate podcast for that. Hey, not a bad idea. Movie nostalgia. No one's probably doing that yet, right? No, nobody. No one. Cool. All right. We're going to just jump into the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, we uh, also have a jump start this week, which we'll talk a little bit about. But to begin with, we're going to kick off, as we normally do, with My Hero Academia. Number 166, Proud of the Licensed Trainees. And I like this little cover page that we've got with Todoroki with his parents. It's like the most normal picture of them that you're ever going to see. You do have to still remember, he did basically be, like abuse his wife to get mm-hmm. to this point. So it's weird seeing like 
not a before happy the picture. feelings came out, or maybe it's from an alternate universe where none of that happened. That's what I'm assuming. I assume that's the situation we're on right now. Look at Todoroki with his stupid little kindergarten uniform. <laughs> Man, I'd hate to have been a kid in Japan just for that reason alone. Like the little, little uniforms, dork- the little, short shorts, and stuff. yeah, the little dorky hats. Also, yeah, we get to see what it never looks like without his flame power turned on. So, uh, last time, the uh, trainees for the Hero Lies exam didn't really know what to do with the kids that they're supposed to take care of. Bakugo's uh, idea of uh, hanging up the leader and uh, having the rest chuck rocks at him, while amazing uh, and sure to work... (laughs) was rejected by the others uh and uh Todoroki just tried to give his character bio that didn't work and uh wind guy um tried to be friends with them and uh they were like you're an asshole basically um and then eventually the kids got tired of waiting around and now they're going to try and attack our uh license exam trainees with a stupid hair kid uh tried to like strike this kingpin pose Let's call him who he is, Nick. My hero, Nick, as they're calling him now. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, 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 no matter how many times I explain to you, like, I cannot convince you that I wasn't like this as a child. <laughs> no, I grew cynical, Chris, as most people do. <laughs> In my head, Canon, you were always this cynical. Like, you immediately came out of the vagina. You're like, wham, come on, wham, can we go home already? Wham, I'm tired, wham. Bleach sucks. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. Bleach has always sucked now. What's bleach? Well, you mean like the chemicals? Like, no, a manga series that won't be made for another 12 years. <laughs> Mom, enough with the talking. Get me home. Wah. I want some Pop-Tarts. Grind them into formula. <laughs> I'm talking like the dog and we never learned dogs. <laughs> Perfectly legible, but just have to in- induct it a little bit. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Meatball Guy from Shiketsu suddenly barges into commentary to provide some insight, uh, basically because he needs to be the heel announcer because President Mike is biased towards the UA students. Um, so... He points out that, hey, if these guys start to fight, then it's going to be a problem because the license, the, the uh, ex- licensee exam students can't just crush them because that's not going to do anything uh, in order to actually help them in the long run. And they can't hold back and let the kids win because that's not going to help either. So what, the moment that they actually got into the situation, then it seems as though the battle was actually decided. This is something that they cannot win. Um, the teacher, meanwhile, is freaking out because the kids actually have really scary, powerful quirks, as demonstrated by the this one kid who has someone a bunch of balls with mouths. Basically, the uh, chain chomps, blank leers. Oh, I, was, I, I was thinking the chain chomps of Super Mario. Kind of look- a kind of a hybrid, maybe, because uh, yeah, definitely more chain chop uh, shaped. You're right. Yeah. Um. He calls them his binging ball, uh, which uh, I think oh, that's a that's a pretty good name. Good job, kid. Yeah, Very I'm surprised creative. that you know what binging means, considering how young you are. I would have called them chain chomps and then got yeah. sued. And uh, <laughs> then I would have said, Nintendo comes in and like, "You can't name this something." I'm eight. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, you're going to be bankrupt at eight, kid. I guess." 
I'm like, I'll kill you with my main schmops then. They're like, all right, good job. <laughs> Avoid the copyright. It's now parody. <laughs> I put little stupid hats on them to like fully make a parody. <laughs> you put like the kindergarten hat on them. <laughs> um, but uh, one of them whizzes by Bakugo's ear and rips apart his mask. So a little scary there. The ball with a mouth coming speeding towards your head. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of the other students start to use their quirks as well, uh, including the kid who had the can in his mouth before, whose quirk is called Tongue Tank. So his tongue, presumably, is actually the uh, the cannon, which I don't know who how he can actually pronounce that if his tongue is a cannon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, by the way, is not as creative as a kid as Binging Ball. He he went as straightforward as a young kid like that would. Probably, yes. Um, President Mike is actually kind of freaked out because uh, he's like, hey, when I was this young, I wasn't nearly this developed in using my quirks, so what's with this? And the Shiketsu student says uh, that he's heard that actually with each new generation, quirks blend and evolve. And there will come a day when these complex, overpowered quirks can no longer be controlled by an individual. They call it the quirk singularity doomsday theory. Now, this I, I find interesting for a couple of reasons. For one thing, it's a pretty logical extension of the whole thing where, hey, quirks, you know, have beginning becoming more and more commonplace uh, at, with each progressive generation um as if you know the quirks and the evolution of humanity are you know just accelerating exponentially basically the other is that it could actually provide a little bit of context as to why aries got such a powerful quirk with the ability to you know erase uh, people from existence by reminding them uh some of the students that Orca is uh, doing, you know, training with are pointing out, hey, it looks like things are kind of, you know, bad over there. Should like, is, is there a problem? And gang Orca, uh, first off, uh, intimidates them because that's what you do. And uh, then he says that he's not worried, even if they are worthless scum. And as if to prove him right. Uh, yeah. The Bakugo and Todoroki and the rest have just <laughs> deflected all the attacks that come at them. So that was... Um... A moment where I was like, okay, so maybe Gang Orca isn't actually supposed to be manifest off of a whale, but rather he's supposed to be manifest off of a Sudare shark. Because <laughs> that was a moment where he just looks at the characters and he's just like, I'm not worried about the hero cannons, even if they are worthless scum. Which we all know is just his pet way of referring to them. So, uh, Gang Orca is now... You are fish poop. Yeah, even if, even if you are fish poop. Oh. I just love that moment where we, uh, we saw a different side of Gang Orca like that. Feel free to carry on, Nick. I just drew a very cute image of Gang Orca as a, as a little, uh, Sundare. Sundare. Yeah. Uh... So the jerk student with the stupid hair instructs the others to just keep on pouring it on because they're still looking down on them. Um, one of the girls that was jealous of Kami earlier uh, shoots a laser beam, uh, seemingly at Todoroki. And Todoroki suddenly goes full shoujo, uh, surrounded by roses, uh, and, and goes, Oh, don't, don't let me see a grimace on that pretty face of yours. And she's like, Ah! <laughs> 
and suddenly the image fades away and uh Kami actually summoned an illusion of Todoroki using her quirk, Glamour. Um, so this is actually, it's like, oh, okay. Um, because, yeah, Kami's got this ability to presumably cast illusions even on herself. So maybe that's why people didn't realize that Toga was disguised as her. Like, huh. What do you think? I don't know if it's necessarily supposed to be that. I think we were just meant to get that no one saw Kami casting stuff. So nobody had a reason to do it because Toga kept hiding herself. Mm-hmm. But this was like a cool way. Because I guess in my mind, I just assume like, oh, maybe Kami just also has a shape-shifting quirk. And that's why Toga was able to kind of get away with that. Uh, but it was kind of a cool way to be like, no, Kami has actually a very different quirk. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know why it's weird to me when she has her her line there about just like, you know, they don't let us date each other at my school. So, man, I'm going through a bit of a dry spell. And I don't know why the term dry spell just sounds so weird and creepy coming from somebody, especially someone so young. Like, I think dry spell, I think like so young, but dressed like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where you're just like, hmm. Why are you talking to kindergartners about this? (laughs) Yeah, stop talking to children about your dry spells. Ew. Well, they were too, they were pitching my ass earlier. I thought that they knew all about it. <laughs> Stop it! No, they don't. They're children. <laughs> um, there is a really weird internal monologue moment from Jerky Hair Kid, uh, where he is like, "Oh, what are these guys planning on doing?" Well, it doesn't matter. I'm putting these big kids to shame. I bet I can even play the piano better than any adult out there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I guess that's how that's how the kid sees it. He's like, it's they're all trying to take my piano skills away. Um, but gradually, my expert piano. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense of entitlement there. Presumably, he was brought up in an environment where he, you know, excelled and was was brilliant and told about how great he was. And that's why he looks down on everybody. Um, and yeah, he has this, you know, aside to himself where he's like, I'm better than the adults and the, the other heroes and the police and my stupid teacher. I'm better than all of them. And I'm going to show them out how good I am. Uh, but at that moment, uh, the uh, trainees uh, make their move. So wind guy sweeps all the kids up off of their feet into the gra- into the air. And then uh, Todoroki summons this huge icy slide uh, that a bunch of them start to slide down on. And uh, it's actually a really pretty visual, honestly, uh, especially the way that uh, he and uh, the other are casting everything together. There's all this kind of it's like they're kind of like painting this thing in midair. I think we're also meant to get the idea that uh, the like northern lights hanging in the sky mm-hmm. is probably Cammy's doing. Yeah, because she's moving in the previous panel too. That's a good point. Because she, Cause she just, she, cause she, yeah, she, right before that she goes. The interior is a little bit plain, so I think that you're right. Hmm. And Bakugo is doing nothing. <laughs> that, or this is a very roundabout way to say that my hero has also gotten in in the ste- uh, steamed hams meme, which is terrible, by the way. That joke is perfect. Every meme on it is only taken away from the joke. I, I hate it. Oh, the with yeah, the Aurora Borealis right here in your in your yeah. kitchen. Oh, right here at this time of the day, located entirely within the confines of your kitchen. Yes. Yes. Can I see it? 
No. No. That is a great joke. Anyway. Um, and I will give some credit to that meme. It's the reason why I got to see that scene the first in the first place, because there's a lot of old Simpsons I still haven't seen. Um, so everyone is blown away by this thing that the three of them have created, um, including the teachers and the testers and everyone. What's up, Chris? <laughs> I just remember the finale of it, which is just like, Skinner! No, mother, no, mother it's is no just the Northern Lights. <laughs> Such a great line. Uh, and uh, Todoroki actually explains that he's not capable of making complicated structures like this entirely on his own. And he used the things that the kids were launching at them as a foundation for it. He froze around them in order to create this. Um so a bunch of the kids are immediately taken in by this because they're like, I want to slide on the slide. And he's like, okay, get in line. <laughs> um, and we get a flashback from Bakudo's perspective uh, where he basically kind of put forward what they had to do. So this was actually seemingly his idea because uh, he pointed out if we just beat them down, by people they think are looking down at them, that's only going to rile them up. And so everyone got into group agreement on that and did this, and the she gets the students like, oh, well, they actually sidestepped the confrontation in order to do this. So, yeah, good job. And then Bakugo goes over to Stupid Hair Kid and grabs him, and he's like, get over here for fun! <laughs> and I love the way that this is worded when he responds to Bakugo. He says, Unhand me at once, you ruffian! <laughs> but uh, Bakko says, if you keep looking down on everyone, you're never going to notice your own weaknesses. That's advice from a guy who's been there, so remember it. Bakko has evolved and learned. Isn't this nice? Is this good character development? Character development! It's a really cool little moment. Uh, and uh, it was actually really surprising and cool to see. It's like, Bakugo barely used his quirks at all in, in this. It was just, he was the planner, really. So, good stuff. Um, this all ends up getting wrapped around, uh, oh, after the suggestion that they use their powers to make an explosion-powered roller coaster, to which Todoroki says, that sounds impossible. You'll never know until you try. <laughs> we'll just use these kids as guinea pigs. <laughs> um, this all gets wrapped around to the conversation that Toshinori and Endeavor were having about the symbol of peace. And uh, Toshinori says, what purpose does our strength serve? Endeavor, the answer is a simple one. And Endeavor is looking at his son, playing with the kids and holding up a little bit of flame in his hand. Which is a cool little visual to end on because you can read it. It's, it's got like a lot of different kind of layers of meaning. You know, it's of course there's the connection between Todoroki and himself, but also it reminds me of the uh, the embers of One for All uh, back during the fight with All for One. Yeah. No, I definitely I, I like this this chapter and and honestly what this entire little arc has been. Uh, I like that this actually ended here. It didn't you know keep on going for a while. Because it's a very quick way of showing, like, oh, these kids tried something, they, they didn't get it right, but they did actually get 
what the important lesson here was, which was, again, you know, they didn't fail the previous exam because their powers weren't strong enough. They failed it because they lost sight of what it meant to be a hero. And this is very clearly a way of them showing that they've learned from that and have found a way to strive and go above it. And I, I like that. I like that Bakugo had this very, you know, tender moment of, of reflection of him being like, you know, if you keep looking down, you're never going to notice your own weakness. And this is coming from somebody who's been there. And I like how it ends on this, this quiet moment for Endeavor. Uh, Horikoshi is such an incredible way of drawing eyes where you can read a lot of emotion in them so mm-hmm. easily. And uh, it's just interesting looking at Endeavor's stare there and kind of contemplating what he might be thinking as he's going through this moment, as he's watching a similar answer of what it means to be a hero, you know, be portrayed in front of them. Mm. I liked a lot. Yeah, good stuff. And we got, uh, you know, Sundare uh, uh, Gang Orca, which I, I think we all <laughs> greatly appreciate. <sighs> I spent a lot of time making that image, goddammit, Nick. I want people to appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Uh, then uh, let's move on to uh, Food Wars, Shokiyaki no Soma. Uh, so, this is Chapter 246, The Queen of Cute. All right, we get it. She, she, She's famous for making cute things. We, we, we get well, it. <laughs> I, I had a question to this. So, I am not uh, a 16-year-old girl, nor have I ever been one, and... Presumably, I'm not going to become one in the future, so I'm going to be very alien to this experience. But if I recall, the previous chapter, Momo's creation, what everybody's getting really excited about, was like a princess fairy house cake, essentially, like this big fairy tale style castle sort of thing made out of a big, like, sweet roll cake, essentially. And all these girls who look like they're like young adults to adults are getting really excited. I'm like, is that still really appealing to you? Like a, a Barbie's dream house made out of cake when you're when you're like 17 years old? I feel like you would have reached a different level of appreciation. I think it's a different level of cute. You know, like people still like kitty cats. Chris, well, that's because they're, that's because they're eternally cute. They're, they're always adorable. So but, people people can have like a love for things that are cute and not have them always be the same thing. You know, your your appreciation for cuteness can evolve over time. Also, uh, it's a food school, so yes. <laughs> that is true. I guess I should acknowledge the fact that this is the one good school, like the food school that rules all of the world, essentially. So I guess it would make sense that what's ever popular there would be popular everywhere. So I suppose it makes sense. People in the chat are also pointing out, it's like, also, there's all the, you know, idols and stuff like that. People who act cutesy and mowing. That, that's like a whole thing. That's there, That so. feels slightly different than what I'm, I'm thinking on here, though. It'd be different if this was like a model do it. But it's someone who looks like they're seven. Who's like, I made a pigeon out of ice. And everyone's like, oh, kawaii. And like hitting like on their fucking buttons and shit. I don't know. That seems weird to me. Again, though. I was at no point a 16-year-old girl, so maybe that was something that at the time I'd have been like, oh, yeah, I, that that's adorbs as fuck, so who knows? Oh, no, Chris, you should understand it still. You are a 29-year-old otaku, yeah. so. <laughs> Amongst other things. Um, this is actually, like, of everything, like, probably the more uh, kind of grounded uh, moments <laughs> that we've seen from... Momo's whole like she is famous for doing cute things uh, thing. 
This makes a whole lot more sense to me than like she was sought out from a from a very young age to point out which stuffed animals were cute. And she's just like, oh, okay. She does these really impressive creations that get put up on Instagram and people are super into them. So she's, you know, a minor celebrity as if she has this random autograph signing session in the middle of the team. Shokugeki. It's like, okay. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, it's a little bit of a weird kind of almost a step down or a side, I guess. Yes. That statue is grounded. Shut up. We see a bit of Arena cooking. Okay. She's not even like doing anything crazy. She's just like, oh, she's making this. And now she's making this. Okay. Well, she seems, she seems, I don't know, maybe I, I'm probably reading in, into it a little much. If it, it seems like they're trying to kind of get across, she seems kind of comfortable and happy cooking, which I guess wouldn't you think wouldn't be the case considering what kind of uh, consideration, like what kind of mind state she goes into when she cooks a lot recently with her dad being around. Maybe it's just me looking into it, but it looks like in the panels where we see her, she's almost just about smiling, which is a pretty good state, I suppose, to see her in when her mm. dad's so close in the vicinity. She's clearly very confident and comfortable, at the very least. Oh, yeah. The, I thing, think about this that, I, the thing about this that stands out to me is that the last chapter we had Momo doing all these ridiculous, crazy things. You know, she would do, icing is on all of my cookies now. And, uh, now I will meld this. Doing all these very impressive things. And everybody's just like, Got the coffee filters, got the whipped cream. It, she seems to be doing much more normal, mundane cooking things. And people are like, oh, look at how beautiful she looks. I mean, holy <laughs> son, you're so beautiful. She's like, I just want to read. <laughs> just leave her alone. She's in a library. <laughs> just be her friend. Um, Eventually, she finishes up, and she has created souffle. I don't speak French. Uh, which is this kind of tall, narrow-looking souffle, um, which uh, uh, Anne digs into. And uh, she re realizes that there is a layer of bean paste in it. Which means that it is actually a dorayaki, the same as Megami's dish was in the previous bout. Um, so this isn't really explored too much because it has more to do with um, everyone's reaction to it, which we'll get to in a second. But I think that the idea that they're going for here is going to be is like, ah, oh, Arina took an idea, a concept that Megami had that was good, I mean, you know, in concept, but she just didn't execute it properly. And then she implemented this dish to show that she had the capability to defeat Momo. That's, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of a weird thing. Um, it's almost a little, like, derogatory when it doesn't need to be. It's not as though I went out of that fight being like, man, I wish... Todoroki had been able to defeat her. Like clearly, they established like it was a dish. That would have been really it. impressive, considering that he's you know over in my hero. Okay, I can, I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> shitting on you for no reason. Todoroki is actually pretty close to Todoroki. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like Megumi, like we we know she succeeded in being a match for her. We didn't need to like hammer in that, but mm -hmm. I I suppose the exact meaning of this hasn't been explained yet so i'm going to reserve judgment on that uh 
I'm certain that there are people who are like, why is Harry? It's the same as they've been for, you know, a couple of weeks. So I'm just like, whatever. I'll wait and see before I pass judgment on that. In general, though, this really doesn't seem like it's living up to the buildup to Arena cooking because she we didn't really see anything that she did uh, shown in very any like impressive context. Like I said, she seems like she was just doing some regular cooking stuff in a mundane way. There was no moment where she was chopping ingredients up really fast or anything like that. Um, so it's just kind of unusual that it's so grounded and low key. Now that said, Let's talk about how she squished a couple of girls between her thighs. <laughs> uh, what, what, what can you possibly mean about that, Nick? I don't, I don't... Okay, so the layers of the Doriaki souffle uh, are, are basically uh, described by uh, An and the uh, MC girl as, uh, as if they're being you know, squished by the softness, which they imagine as if they're naked and are being uh, squeezed between uh, a teacher cosplay Arena's thighs. Like giant cosplay, like giant snoo snoo Arena basically is squeezing them between her thighs. And they want to have more fluffy, silky smooth special lessons heart sign. Here's the thing. <laughs> so. That's all very suggestive, things like that. Far and away, the dirtiest part of this image is the sound effect that accompanies it, which is smish. In the bottom right-hand corner, it is smish. That is the most fucking revolting sound effect I can think of for this moment. It is so dirty to think, what could Smish possibly be implying? And you just think of, like... Chris, it's a sexy brone crushing. (laughs) It sounds like such a a dirty sound effect for this moment. And you have to appreciate that they've they've really just, like, taken Arena as the sexy school teacher gimmick to just the nth degree this time. They're like, we may never have another shot with it again, so let's really just go hog wild on it. I think that this is one of the dirtiest images we've gotten from Food Wars in a long time. And it's not even all that explicit um, because, you know, the two girls are drawn small enough that you can't exactly see, you know, their naughty bits too well. But just the very straightforward on the nose, she's crushing them between her thighs of it. It's like that is wow. (laughs) No, Nothing less like, oh, it's like I'm trapped in a magician's box and I, and or, oh, I, I'm naked in a barrel going over a waterfall. It's like I'm small and I'm being crushed between a giant teacher's naked thighs. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Stop telling me that about yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird image there. Uh, and uh, Arina has offered uh, her um, souffle to uh, Momo to try as well. Um, I hope that doesn't go anywhere because Mobo looks far too young for this. Yeah, you're going to get something, I imagine, right? Maybe not the whole thing, but... 
Okay. Maybe not being smished, but smished. <laughs> the more you say it, it's a fucking gross sound effect. <laughs> Smish, I imagined, is the sound effect you get when you take like a bunch of Twinkies and you dunk them in water, and then you just like press them beneath the hammer. Like that's when you get smish. Okay, someone is has pointing out Chad. Didn't they also do getting crushed between the boobs? Yes, but that's not a common fetish. Okay. <laughs> Crush between boobs? Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, we, we need to update your porn hub, Nick. Okay. Never mind. We're not going to get into this. <laughs> I could argue this, but I'm not going to. All right. Let's talk about Dr. Stone. There is no nudity in this one this time, so. It's Z equals 42, tail for the ages. Last time, Ruri revealed that she. Uh, had always known Senku's last name, which is Ishigami, which is also the name of the village, Ishigami Village. So this chapter is primarily a flashback, uh, explained actually partially through Senku's help, because once she explains this to him, he kind of like, oh, all the pieces fit together. This all makes sense now, um, because he knows something that we don't. It's time um, to get stoned! Is, thank you, Chris. Um one of the details he actually points out ahead of time is like, hey, if everyone on Earth's turned to stone, then who the heck started this village? And I believe the assumption we were working on was just, well, you came out by happenstance, so why couldn't everyone else have? But he also points out, and why do Kuhaku and Ruri look like they're half Japanese? So he's figured th this out. Kuhaku's completely by lost, the way, of do, course. Do they look half Japanese? That's what he says. <laughs> it was that moment where I'm just like, sure, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Seku, you've got super blonde hair, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Seku says, like, so I bet that you are probably actually familiar with my name through something from the shamaness folklore. And it's like, that is true. The 100th tale in the 100 tales... Uh, is called Senku Ishigami. And I like the wording that her mother had to, to explain to her, which is like, this story actually happened. <laughs> I was like, oh, all the manga stories didn't happen. <laughs> there was not actually a rubber pirate that sailed around the world with a shape-changing reindeer and Ace Ventura cyborg. Like, God damn it! So, of course, the explanation now ends up being like, no, that actually was just taken from manga. It wasn't a parodical reference. It was no, literally that story came from manga from long ago. Yeah, I think I, I think I threw that out there as a theory that all the mm -hmm. tales that she knew were all just manga series passed down by somebody else. Which means um, Ice Shield 21 could be a story in their world. Holy shit. <laughs> and so the, and so the devil bats won the Christmas bowl, the Christmas bowl. But wait. Didn't they have, like, another match they had to win before they won that? No! No, they didn't! They just won it! Did they have to beat the real Live and Show the, 21? And the real no. Live Show 21 wasn't disappointing. No, it turns out it was fucking the Bando Spider guys all along, because I guess he was slightly better. Wanta had an awesome showdown with his idol son, and nothing else happened. <laughs> Kakei taught all of his hand techniques to Jumanji, and he used them. <laughs> and it was really satisfying to watch him get to use those. <laughs> oh, man. Thank God. Kari, the sh thank God. 
Karin was the first female player in the series, and she was not disappointing in any way. <laughs> and she was very relevant. It was very, very significant that she, she had was a in showdown the match. with Hiruma. That totally happened. <laughs> Thank God the series that that series didn't exist when we did weekly Margarita. Because I can only imagine the disappointment that have come out of like several chapters of that buildup, and us being like, "Holy shit, Kate definitely said he's going to teach all of his hand techniques to Manji, and there's the first female player, and she's the quarterback of that team, and we got all these cool things built up." And then just watching them all not happen. Set in too. That would have that would have been, I'm sure, really really weird for people to see happening in real time. It's like the excitement slowly died down. <laughs> well, there's the, nothing. It's like I'm not going to America. This is gonna be great. <laughs> oh wait, wait, this dude runs 4.2 seconds. Why is he being eliminated so quickly? Then <laughs> is 4.2 not a big deal anymore? <laughs> Fucking random German guy. Oh. So you may recall that uh, Senku's father was briefly uh, viewed in a previous flashback that Senku experienced when he explained how much science meant to him early on. And uh, we see a very young Senku who doesn't really understand how, you know, distance works. Um, and uh, his father is explaining stuff to him. Uh, but... He's just kind of teasing him about it and saying, he's like, no, cut the bullshit. Tell me the actual reason why things are happening. Give me a cold on facts, pops. Enough of the bedtime stories, you fucker. <laughs> um, and Sinku's father brings up, like, see, you know, the moon just looks like it's following you because it's so incredibly far away. And since I failed the astronaut selection trials fabulously, alas, the moon remains but a distant dream for me as well. Huh. Astronaut... Ex exams. Hmm. Uh, he explains that, uh, yeah, they had, you know, a swimming exam and uh, he failed it horribly uh, because he's not a very good swimmer. And also he got a Charlie horse. Um, and uh, so little Senku uh, decides from this that he wants to go to space. And so, you know, again, the teacher says, oh, that's something to look forward to when you grow. No, I'm going wait right now. <laughs> Making a rocket. <laughs> um, but uh, as, you know, Seku goes through his, you know, growing up, uh, doing stuff with Taiju and stuff, eventually some time passes and his father hears that they're having another recruitment session for astronauts. And uh, Senku um, gets in his head that he's going to help his father to learn to swim. And so he and Taiju abduct a dummy from like the science room at their school and the science dummy talks okay <laughs> look Chris Taiju's back I don't know who that is anymore oh there's a moment where I was like I don't know this character oh it's been it's been too long it's faded from your memory all I know is he has a voice. That's about it. Oh, okay. So, uh, Soku basically uses uh, electric stimulations in conjunction with the uh, dummy thing so that uh, they can... Um... Oh, they're using it for tests. Okay. That's what they're doing. Got it. I assume that that's what they're doing. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're testing it on the dummy. How it works. Yeah, so that they can then use it on the dad. 
Mm-hmm. So then they put a special weird bodysuit on him and then stimulate him with electric impulses so that he would do a sort of butterfly stroke motion. Um, and so the time's the time for the uh, selection trials, and he he passes. Yes, he does he does the butterfly stroke perfectly well. And I love how immediately after you see him swing perfectly, goes you know before you know a, a, a seat of of guys and they're they're like uh, so you're saying that that bizarre suit was made by a ten year old so did it help you learn how to swim no of course it did <laughs> uh, I love that I flailed around like an idiot <laughs> but the fact that Sika was trying so hard to help him out made him really really work hard so that he could clear the swimming test so that he could uh, live up to his son's expectations oh that's sweet. And uh, five years later, after much preparation, uh, a mission sending astronauts into space came up, and it included a Japanese astronaut, Byakuya Ishigami. Finally, a Byakuya in fucking manga who doesn't just eat chodes. Fucking, it's been forever. I didn't think we'd ever get one. And yeah, I'm sorry, it's Shaded Bleach. Fight me. (laughs) Um, So... He, we see that as they're getting ready to to leave, he kind of notices reporters, uh, goes over to the camera, grabs the microphone, and promises Senku that he's going to bring home a whole bunch of science souvenirs. Uh, and then they blast off, and three days later, the mysterious flash of light occurred and turned everyone to stone. So the person who started the village was Byaki Ishigami Senku's father, and so yeah, okay. They took off into space. They weren't there when the incident occurred. And then they crash landed and restarted humanity, basically. Hmm. Um, It was one of those kinds of uh, turns that a story takes sometimes where it's like, you don't really, I didn't really see it coming, but it fits so perfectly with everything. It's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So, yes, Chris, you have a question, Mr. Valerius? I saw it coming. You saw it coming? Yeah, I I predicted this last week. And this is to counterbalance the fact that I totally fucked up Black Clover last week. So it was a perfect yin and yang of like great prediction and awful prediction. So good uh, job, dude. Yeah, I call I I I I called this, but I think more than anything, I was just supremely excited about this chapter because it was a very emotional chapter of showing more of this relationship with Senku and his dad. We kind of projected a bit of it the previous time his dad was mentioned about like Senku's dad. They gave so much to help his son kind of invested in science and we get a little bit more of a glimpse into that it looks like his father's mm-hmm. a professor so it seems like that may have been something a little bit up the alley but you do see their relationship here and it's extremely sweet hearing that you know we, we still don't actually get the context of what rory's story is we know mm-hmm. what that senku story is and obviously there's a very touching kind of story i imagine between senku's father passing down the story of his kid um but what was really sad about this chapter to me nick what's that i think this may this may have sunk the only other ship I really had an investment in, which was uh, Kohaku and uh, and Senku, because by this logic, she's like his very distant, like, great, 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 great niece. I don't really care. You don't... They did the same thing in Time Force, Chris. Come on. <laughs> they did. Yeah, I guess it could be okay. All right, cool. All right, let's get together then. Woo! Once it becomes distant enough, it doesn't really matter. There's <laughs> still a little bit of a weirdness to it. I don't know. 3,000 years of generations, Chris. I don't know. I mean, everyone's... If you a... go back that far, we're related. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to fuck you, though. Oh. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. Have I been doing this podcast and leading you on? <laughs> You're like, no, I no, have it's to fine. go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's just, I guess we'll just keep doing this for nothing then. <laughs> no, I, I sincerely, I enjoyed this chapter. I, I really thought it was a very sweet sentiment that we got across there. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the next chapters go. I, I, I can tell you right now, I'm going to, I might ball like a child if that's if that story about Senku is sad. Nick, I'm losing my shit recently. I went on like a sadness kick. I like decided to start watching the final scene from Coco, and then I was like, "All right, let me watch some scenes from Lost." And then I started watching that scene from Up, and then I started watching the Eddie Guerrero Hurt video, and I watched the Connor the Crusher tribute. I just went through a sadness lodge. It was just over and over again. I have to keep crying. <laughs> it was. It was almost like a challenge. Like I was like, "How sad can I make myself?" Right inside, uh, a couple of people said that uh, the Iron Giant was bad. And I was like, what kind of heartless monsters are you? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen it. I know it's a sad movie. Superman. Uh, you stay. I go. No following. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, I, I enjoy this a lot, and I'm looking forward to the next couple chapters. Like it's gonna be I like seeing the father-son relationship between Senku and Byakuya. Um, I don't... We didn't really get a strong parental relationship at all in I Feel 21. This yeah. is the first time we've really seen something like this that, uh, that Inagaki-sensei has done. The closest I think you could say would be Jumanji's father, by the end, realized he was a dickhead and was supportive <laughs> of his son. But that's about it. I mean, like, almost every parent in I Show 21 was weird. I think, like, Mamori's mother was the most supportive in all of it, and she was barely in it. Well, actually, so. no. It was um, Kumosobi's parents. They both were super supportive Kumosobi's of him. Kumosobi's parents were great. Yeah, That's they were true. both super supportive of him. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we, are we jumping over to We Never Learned, and are we doing uh, Bose Beats? Uh, we can talk about Bose Beats first. Why not? Okay. Uh, Bose Beats is the jumpstart that we got this week. Uh, it is a series about exercising demons, but with a technological twist. Uh, so there are these kind of Buddhist uh, ghost busters, basically. Um, and it's centered around this protagonist that we meet in the first chapter. He's a wild boy uh, who's been raised by wolves and has lost his memory. His name is Tamaki. Uh, by the end of the series, his adoptive mother wolf gets killed by a demon and then the guy who's going to become his mentor has killed the demon. And basically, Tamaki realizes that he's got to actually leave the forest that he has been growing up in his entire, uh, as long as, as far back as he can remember, and find his own way. And he, several months later, has also become this Buddhist shaman ghost hunter guy. Um. Uh Go ahead. I, I was going to say, this series, uh, I don't know how to, to phrase it. I feel like they buried the lead, except they didn't. They opened up with the lead, then just stopped showing the lead for a very long time. Because the series starts off with a, a bunch of, like, it looks like Buddhist cops fighting a giant dragon. It looks like something out of Yu-Gi-Oh! With, like, the cops actually reacting to giant hologram dragons in the sky. You're like, holy shit, this looks awesome. What's happening? And then it's, it's like, like, all you need is kill Ghost Hunter kind of style thing it's like right off the bat and then it just cuts away to the story in the woods which isn't bad but i'm just like what's the dragon thing all about what was with the <laughs> cops fighting the dragons i'm so confused what's happening and we spend a really long time and there's this moment when um 
uh, Bose is like talking to to the wolf and the kid and has to like tell him like, don't worry, I'm not going to eat you. I'm a vegetarian in this big dramatic pose and everything. And at first I thought this was very silly until I was like, no, that's exactly how vegans announce that they're they're vegetarian or vegan to you and have to make a big deal out of it. So that was fine. But all this stuff is happening for so long before finally like a monster attacks and the wolf like goes crazy and tries to fight it. And then we see Bose drop this box that he has that he said is for his self self-defense drops it opens it up, and it's a, filled with an enormous minigun that I was like, you should have started with this sooner! <laughs> Holy shit, why did we take so long to get to this? This is awesome! It is a Gatling gun that fires out prayer bead rounds. <laughs> that shit is so awesome, and they didn't lead with it. That was a mistake. It was still a very good chapter, but fuck, man. You should have announced, you should have, I, I'd have made a fucking effort so that every chapter included a shot of the prayer bead minigun. <laughs> uh, it's a series that's got some good art and, you know, the aesthetic of it is cool. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah we're shamans with these, with this uh, almost kind of steampunkish uh, sort of technology. Uh, I say steampunkish, I mean more, I guess, cyberpunk uh, in a way. Um. But yeah, the whole thing with uh, with Tamaki, uh, he is, you know, it's a character that's kind of been done before. So, you know, oh, I've lost my memory. I don't know who I am. I have to find my way. Uh, I've been running away from from pursuing my destiny because I have to do stuff here. But oh, I'm thrust out into the world. It's it's very straightforward. Call the call the hero uh, thing. And it's not particularly engaging in the way that it's done, I don't think. But. All that I do appreciate that that entire plot is wrapped up and done within the first chapter. So you get a good idea of who he is, uh, where he's coming from and what he wants to do. That is all established very well. So I feel as though when we get the second chapter, it's like, OK, this is who Tamaki is. And so I know what's driving him. Um, and then we can get into what he's actually going to do for the rest of the series. So. That's fine. We're all set up to have this series, and I'm glad for that. I have no idea, though, if this is going to be good or not, because the story that we just had, I wasn't all that into. I just know it was like, OK, we're set up to potentially have a good one. And I do like the, the way that the the art looks and the way that the, the combat stuff looks. Um, so it's really just comes down to, all right, is the plot that is starting now going to be good or not because we aren't really set up to do anything at this point just Tabaki must now go and find his own way and continue his Let's go training his own way. uh no i i i agree with you to an extent i i think i dug the story a little bit more i could definitely see the quality of writing to it though i agree it was a little dry it's stuff that we have seen before but seeing it before doesn't necessarily make it bad um i think that what we can kind of glimpse from the execution is that there is a quality writer uh, writing behind this. So I'm eager to see this go into a new direction that hopefully gives us something a little bit more interesting. Um, I actually, I think the part I was most disappointed by is the end of the chapter reveals that uh, Jose is not with him, that it's, you know, he's going to be trained under this new uh, other Bose, basically. Yeah. And who's clumsy and neglectful. Not just clumsy, horrible at his job. He just turns yeah. around and there's kids playing with like his fucking ghost. No, container. don't don't smash the demon container. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you fools! 
<laughs> uh, and that bummed me out because I actually liked the lead a lot from the, the, the chapter. Well, no, I guess not lead, but the main guy we saw from this chapter and followed along. I, I was really digging him. So hopefully we get to see more of him. But I, I, I can dig this. And uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing the next couple chapters. See if it's it's any better, essentially. All right. Shall we move along to We Never Learn, Nick? Yes. We Never Learn, question 46, her feminine wiles, X him. That sounds dirty. It does, but it wasn't 19 sentences or like words long, so I pre- this is maybe my favorite chapter title ever. <laughs> it's only one line long in my notes. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, last chapter... Karasu's sister showed up, Miharu, as we find her name is. She may reveal the last week. I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, Miharu showed up and got the misunderstanding that Kirisu and Uega were like an indecent, uh, you know, salacious, scandalous kind of couple of teacher and student. And With as matching such, his and hers swim shoe shampoo caps. Exactly. As everyone knows, they might have. Um and in that, decided that she couldn't allow her sister, who she has such respect for, to be, like, lured in by this guy. So she was going to steal him away using her feminine wiles and doing it under the guise of trying to help him with his studies. So that's what this chapter is. It's a continuation of that. And we get a series of jokes, basically, at the start, how... Uh, Miharu is from an all-girls academy. She doesn't have experience with boys, so she's very nervous and awkward and shy around him. Basically, I guess she's meant to fill in a bit of a role the series didn't have 100% of, which was like a Sundare kind of character. Because looking um, back... I th- she basically is, I think, because she is dis- mistrustful of Yuiga at first and doesn't really like him. Yeah, she seems to fill in that role. But she's I, very, I mean, she I mean, she's she's very similar to Haru in a lot of archetypical ways. You know, she's the the younger sister of another character who is a love interest to him and she doesn't like him at first. Yes. And I think what what kind of hits me is that now having this character in the series, I realize how better the series is without that kind of character in it, because all of her jokes and this usually is one of the things I could pull out from We Never Learned is they usually have at least one or two jokes that go overboard and make me laugh from that. Everything here really feels like a joke we've seen before. You know, she first is really far away because she doesn't want to get close to him. And then she calls him by her name and she's like, Eager boy called me by her name. Uh, there's which, is a, which we had in an emotional moment with Aruka. And now it's like, well, now that's a joke. But... Yeah. But then... There's a small moment there where Kirisu talks to Uega and starts telling him the story about their dog, Pero. Which means dog. <laughs> yeah, just means dog. And the story of Pero is they got a pet dog and Miharu loved that dog and kept demanding it do treats to get his food over and over again to the point where she demanded the dog to beat her in, check, <laughs> in chess, at which point... The dog vanished and left a note behind that said, please don't come for me. I'm not coming back. Arf. I love this. I mean, basically. This the setup we had last chapter was so convoluted and I, I thought that it was going to go in such a stupid direction. The fact that it led to this one joke 
makes it all worth it because it's such a perfect escalation. It was like, oh, look, 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 Miharu loves her, loves her doggy. And then there's like, hey, Pero, shake. Yeah, now you can have food. Okay, now go chase that bird. Then you can have your food. Now beat me a chest and then you can have your food. And she's always got this, you know, perpetually like, you know, it's like, yay, Pero. Yeah, so excited while the dog's getting more and more worried. And then it leaves and leaves and know for why it's running away. Nick, I could Which means that her teaching was do, was was working because do you understand how legible that handwriting is for someone who doesn't have <laughs> opposable thumbs? Nick, I want to laugh at this joke, but I can't because I feel too bad for this fictional dog out there. Me Nick. too. <laughs> I honestly do. I I want like Pero to somehow come back and make amends and be hard to make amends with him. <laughs> it's okay there, Nick, because I have crafted a story here. Pero <laughs> ran away. Okay. And he was very scared and lonely and hungry. But he was found by a very kind old man whose name was Amori. And together, the two of them got many, many peanuts together and were able to live happily ever after with their peanuts and their dog peanuts for dogs. Because I think regular peanuts <laughs> go to say, like, Are peanuts okay for dogs to have? <laughs> I'm not sure. But in my world, Para was very happy with Omori and his peanuts. And I made a picture of it so that you can see that. I mean, I feel I honestly feel really bad for Mihara because, like, yes, she drives the dog away. But the very first thing that Kirisu says is Miharu really loved that dog. And you can tell in the way that she's interacting with Pero. It's like, nope, she does. And she's really upset when Pero leaves. It's like she just didn't really realize what she was doing because she was a dumb little girl with a perfectionist streak. So it's like, oh, I want her to learn her lesson and for them to make amends. Even though that dog is going to be ancient by, by do- in dog years by this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're ever getting a continuation of that. Fingers crossed. Probably not. It's a throwaway joke, but it made me feel many things. <laughs> Uh, and they continue on, and essentially what happens is <laughs> Miharu starts to get the wrong impression seeing them talking and thinks, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm not gaining, I'm not succeeding enough, so I gotta really turn it up. So she starts saying like, oh, I'm a little hot, and like pulling on her shirt, at which point I thought Jawake would be like, is everything okay? Because you've been here like 10 minutes. You've had to strip a layer of clothing off each time. Like, it's, I'm wearing like three layers. It's not that hot out right now. What's going on? Are you okay? And, but he is immune to her or her charms because he actually thinks this is part of the test. Like, that she's trying to, like, distract him because she keeps she's nudging him. She's trying to distract me with her cleavage. <laughs> she keeps, like, nudging up against him. Uh, but then there's this moment where fucking Kirisu tries to stand up and... Her legs fell asleep and she doesn't just like, oh, my legs are fell- like got pins and needles. She instead fucking falls over. Like, ah! My legs have stopped working completely. Falls over breast into face of Uega. And you're just like, no, I refuse to believe that Kirisu has ever managed to competently accomplish anything in her life. If she is this bad at just existing. There is there is a level of incompetence which is tolerable, and she has surpassed it. If she just fucked up standing up, she leaves because she has to go fucking I don't know, shake her legs against the cinder block until they gain feeling again. At which point Miharu tries to do another like sliding over thing. She tries to essentially do the same thing, 
but instead when she does it, her dress hikes up too much. And well, I like the detail that when she does it, she's like announcing her attack because she goes fire. <laughs> and then she, and then Yuiga's like, why didn't you yell fire when you tripped? <laughs> uh, it pulled up her dress. So Yuiga's like, oh, you should check on that. So she has the whole like, oh, I'll never live this down. I'll never get married moment. Kirisu comes out. She opened up a can of fruits for everybody to enjoy. And I was like, I guess she accomplished one thing. Until Uega announces to everybody she doesn't even have a 100% success rate of doing this because the last time she tried to open a can, she cut her hand. How does she function, Nick? I get that she was an ice skater. I get that she was a good teacher. She fails at everything else. That's the that's the joke, Chris. I know, but, she, but there's so much to life that's not teaching or ice skating, and she's bad at all of it. Uh, I'm I'm getting the the weird laggy pages stuff. Essentially, what kind of comes out of it is Uega has a heart to heart conversation with Miharu in regards to like. You know, my your sister's doing really great about this, and you know, Miharu's like, no, she's she's destined to be a teacher or an ice skater and things along those lines. Wega has this, you know, speech to her about like, you know, a lot not, not a lot of people understand your sister. A lot of people, I think, get the wrong impression of her. But I understand who she is, and I understand that she cares more about her students than anything else in the world. She's very kind, and she's very you know thoughtful, and wants to see them succeed. And you know, Miharu is about to kind of counter on this, and then. Kirisu comes out and is like, Yuega is great. He's diligent and kind-hearted and starts patting him on the head. And that's when they realize that she accidentally drank a can of alcohol that looked a lot like the fruit cocktail juice she was drinking before. And as we recall, a single drink turns Kirisu into a highly complimentary person. Yep. Eh, that's basically the chapter. Dance with them. Being like, I guess we'll have to like help her, you know, recover. But then Kihara is like, no, no, I wasn't. Or Mihara is like, it wasn't a joke. You're 24 hours to me, bitch. <laughs> We're finishing this. He's like, oh. Well, like, Kirisu, uh, not Kirisu. Uh, it, no, it is Kirisu, no. yes. What am I doing? Um, sleeps off, you know, her drunkenness and wakes up with a hangover and looks over and Yuiga's like, ah, stop, please. <laughs> <laughs> There were some some jokes in this that I did that I did like, uh, aside from just the Paro one. Uh, in general, I do think that a lot of the shenanigans were like, okay, I've seen it before. Oh, and a lot of it you could really see coming with uh, Miharu trying and failing to seduce Yuiga because, of course, she doesn't know what she's doing. Um, I do think that out of the many different you know prominent female characters we've gotten introduced in the series, she's probably been the, had the least effective introduction. Uh, out of them so far so i'm she sure did. that she'll pop up again and maybe she'll do better in the future she's definitely going to because they make a point of her saying that she's staying around and mm -hmm. i'll save my sister next time for sure so i'm sure she'll reoccur she might get better i mean we didn't we weren't a huge fan of uroka when she first showed up so she mm -hmm. she could get better with time all right let's move on to the promised neverland Chapter 70, Hide and Seek. So last time, Emma was introduced to Lucas, who was uh, from the, uh, what do you, what do you got? Glory Bell House. Uh, same as the uh, nameless geezer that uh, is with Ray right now. So 
Emma asks him, like, hey, you know, did you get here the same way that I did? Basically explaining very quickly what she's what she's done. And then he says, you know, I recognize your clothes. So you've been to B0632 as well. And so, you know, I recognize that. Uh, and I was scared to ask, but is he alive? And I'm like, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to say n- not say his name like an asshole. <laughs> oh, Nick. Yeah, this this chapter is is straight out of Lost, where everything the characters it's say so annoying. is framed to be as infuriating and frustrating as possible. It's not just that. They have to end There's this another chapter. One. There's another character. It goes beyond that. They have to do it again. Where they have There's to, a place. They have to, yeah, they have to lead you up to like, all the answers to everything you're seeking are behind this door. Shall we go in? Hard cut. It's like, we're not going to go back to that the next week. We might not even get back to it next week. We might be with Raymond. What's his name next week? What's his name? I still don't know because you didn't tell his name. You just said he. You're being frustrated. God damn it. Don't do this to me. Well, Chris, we were told a gender and a name last week, and there were a lot of characters introduced. So in order to make up for that, there have to be a lot more unanswered questions this week. Just to keep us going. Anyway, Lucas is glad to to learn that he is alive. And uh, fuck's sake, don't do this to me again. We get a flashback from his perspective of when, of course, they were trying to escape from Goldie Pond. Um, actually, uh, we see that Luvis tore his arm off, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, uh, and uh, he was, however, saved. By her. Her. Someone I didn't know. Someone, because I, 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 I had never seen her before. She said that she, but use fucking names. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I wouldn't want to complicate no, 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 things. No, 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 We have to make this a reveal later, too. I honestly didn't, I never caught her name. She saved my life, never asked for a name. Okay. Yeah, she showed me where she had been hiding, and I was, uh, never caught her name. No. Yeah, she was like, my name is, and I said, stop. <laughs> I said, <laughs> she said, my name is, and I said, Shikashim Slady. And every time she tried to say her name, I did that joke, she stopped saying her name. It's a really great way to get people to stop to, to, so trying to I, tell you their name. So I think, I guess then, her name is Slim Shady, by the way, then. Yeah, yeah, she never actually corrected me. Yeah. I don't know if she's the real Slim Shady, but, you know, it's okay if she's an imitating. But also, uh, apparently her, na- her name is what, <laughs> who, and Slim Shady. <laughs> Craziness. Um, we also don't really get a good look at her face as well. Um, so I'm kind of thinking, like, is this supposed to be someone who maybe is someone we have already seen or maybe is related to someone that we've seen? Uh, she seems to be black, so maybe she's somehow related to Crone, was an idea that I thought. It's tough because I can't tell if it's supposed to be the shadowing, though. It almost looks like she has, like, light hair, though. It does um, look like although light another, hair. Although another panel says the fear that girl felt, and she looks like she has darker hair there. I don't know. It's really tough to tell. Maybe she has hair extensions, Chris. <laughs> it's very it's very possible. I, I really, I guess I can't tell. I don't think it's supposed to be Crone, though, because I think Crone they really kind of put across was a, a farm kid through and through. So I have no idea if it's... I, I think this is just supposed to be something we get from a later reveal. So uh, Lucas explains that, uh, yeah, she had this great hiding spot so the monsters would not find her. She said she was playing hide-and-seek the whole time. Um, and we were never discovered. Uh, so... The poachers assumed that I had run away, 
but I've actually been using the windmill as a base and hiding here for 13 years. I became someone who didn't exist. And the only ones who know that I'm alive are you and the kids and also the guard at the door, Adam. Uh, meanwhile, the girl died. Uh, she just got sick. It happens. <laughs> um, so he has often thought of escaping. Uh, he didn't have a pen. He couldn't get through the door. Uh, but he wants to destroy the hunting ground before he does anything else. Makes sense. Um, and uh, he did actually find the place that he was actually looking for. The reason why Mr. Minerva has called everyone there, but he didn't have a pen, so he couldn't actually get through this doorway. And he leads her down this secret passageway through a false wall. Uh, and uh, but they need Emma's pen in order to actually get through. I right. correct me on something here. I, I might be just forgetting this. How did the lore of the pen really start? Was it that the like the farms all had one, or is it something that Crone? Crone just found one. Okay. Someone dropped it. Because they also had a pen with this group that Lucas was a part of. Obviously, he doesn't have it now, but that was how they found the shelter, wasn't it? That's because that's the first function of the pen. No stuff. name has his. No name has the pen. So they... it could just be something that he. I'm trying to figure out if it's something Minerva like specifically leaves around, or if it's something that they get from the. You know, like the farm. Presumably Minerva has left them around in different places for people to use in order to meet them him here. Okay. But yes, Crone just found hers in the training center. It was dropped by someone that she saw talking with one of the demons. Hmm. Possibly. De probably deliberately, honestly. Um, so they're going to go and take out Mr. Minerva's door. To what he really intends for us. But enough about that. You don't care about that. Bah! We got more important things to talk about than, you know, the mystery being explained. Um, we cut back actually over to No Name and Ray, who are still, you know, looking through around in the woods, trying to get to Emma. Ray is getting frustrated uh, because it took them so long in order to escape from the poachers and not to come back and all this. Uh, and Ray's, you know, Basically, like, griping at him, like, I'm going to go to Goldie Pond. I got to go save Emma. And uh, No Name says, like, no, we're actually already here. We're at Goldie Pond. And Ray's like, there's nothing here. Um, but the old man says that, no, no, no. Goldie Pond is a secret hunting ground. Just like the shelter, it is below the surface. It's weird because I'm pretty sure we saw, like, sky. In the, the chases. That yes, they... we've we've certainly seen open sky. I think that we even actually first suggested when uh, she showed up in Goldie Pond that uh, like, huh, well, I don't know. There's a sky, so it's not like she could be underground. I was like, but I guess they could. That's it could, how it is then. <laughs> it could just be like, uh, what was it? The Truman Show where it's like an artificial yeah. sky. Yeah. That's a shitty movie. Wow! <laughs> Take that, Truman Show. <laughs> Take that, Truman Show. A movie I watched when I was eight. <laughs> oh man. Um. Oh, actually, yes. Uh, as pointed out in the chat, yeah, there was also the artificial sky in uh, Huecamundo. Yeah. Um. So yeah, 
the old man does know of a, a couple of potential routes that they could go inside of to get into Goldie Pond, but that's what they're going to do one way or another to try and uh, go save him. So a, lot of, a couple of different things are now uh, moving now. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing where this where this goes from here. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter Two Hundred and Fifty. Composition. There it is. So, last time, uh, Merlin and Zeldris having a conversation, a very pleasant one. They were hashing out some business deals when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Zeldris got nuked into space, and that's where we pick up. As everyone kind of is like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and Merlin's like, one of the four archangels sent Zeldris's presence and sent him into the heavens to attack. Or like, launched it from the heavens. And like, you knew about that? And she's like, absolutely. Duh. So I deliberately riled him up so he'd stay focused on me and take a direct hit. All right, let's go. Poof. And then they, bamf, they bamf away. Uh, we cut up to the, the archangel where she's having a bit of a conversation with uh, Gil Thunder and, and the rest of them. Hendrickson. Uh, Guild Thunder has a little bit of some anger here because he's still like, why did you take Margaret from me? What are you doing? And you're like, hey, you should be proud. You know, she gave herself so you and everyone else could be saved. We're not evil. Come on. You can trust us. Wink, wink. Yeah. Turns out, obviously, Zeldris is not dead and he's very pissed that they're around. So he goes to make a, a very big attack, opening up like a lightning bolt from the heavens. Uh, it's unclear what happens because we just see the attack happen and like shadows within it. That could just be their sky base they're in and she got everyone out safely. So who knows? But we cut away to the Camelot, I believe, right? I think that's where everyone else is. And uh, Chandler, the great demon lord Chandler, is sitting yes. outside. Very happy because he sees that Elizabeth has escaped. He hears about it from... From Melodius, so he's always, ooh, if she's escaped, then I could take this as my opportunity to start killing her. So, sorry about that, and he sends out, essentially he sends out Demi-Devilmons with his face to go kill her. Uh, we cut aside then, and we see that uh, the teleported boar's hat has been planted uh, over the capital Camelot, which is kind of currently under demon control. Um... I believe what happens here is they they basically have Diane trick them into scaring them, and she uses that to teleport people away. I'm not entirely sure what happens there. I think that she's... I don't know. She scares the, the villagers, and Merlin uses that to, do so, to, like, to launch them into that flower. I'm not entirely certain... I don't really know exactly what happened either. I know that they're being teleported and they also get teleported out of the flower's grasp. So maybe she needs them to stand still for a second or something. Or maybe needs them to be afraid. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a logical explanation for this. I've just probably forgotten the details of it. The important thing that happens is that uh, Elizabeth runs into them. And as she's running up, one of the mustache Debbie Debbie Mon... One of the Chandlermon, I guess, as we will call them, uh, attacks her with his, I guess, razor wing? I don't know. <laughs> Pretty much. And essentially almost scalps her. Like, it catches her yeah. right above the top of the head. And it, looked actually, like it was actually a really scary moment when I saw that, because I was like, holy shit, it killed her. 
because uh, you know there's that whole thing looming over her head of the curse is going to kill her which is actually a really effective way of thinking like oh she's like perpetually in danger yes so. uh at which point uh diane stops him into dust by saying how dare you do that to a girl's face uh because girls care about their looks apparently and then they have a little bit of a moment there between Diane and Elizabeth where she's, you know, trying to take care of her. And Elizabeth has this very sweet sentiment there about how, you know, she realizes the danger she's in and she doesn't care because she has, she knows she has to stop him because if she becomes the demon Lord, then they'll never see each other again. And she reassures Diane by saying, you know, it's okay. No matter what happens, I'll keep coming back. So when I do, please, let's be friends again. You know, try to leave her because, you know, it's a very real possibility your friend might die in the process of this. And even though, die, even though Elizabeth comes back, her memories do not. And mm-hmm. it's essentially like losing that person uh, in, in very much that way. So it's a very sweet sentiment. The chapter ends with Elizabeth solemnly promising that even if it costs her life, she will save him. So please, everyone, lend her their strength. Elizabeth has gotten really cool in the recent uh, Seven Deadly Sins. I really like the way, the direction her character has taken. And uh, she's actually gotten a lot more interesting since she's had to place herself as the leader of the opposition group uh, and kind of take that leadership role that Meliodas left vacant. Absolutely. I, I'm digging it immensely. I think it's it's been pretty satisfying to see. And I like this chapter for Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Black Clover. Page 140. You probably don't know, but... Dot, dot, dot. So uh, the last chapter ended with a door opening up and a mysterious figure speaking very slowly about all the disturbance and noise going on as Gaussian, Gordon, and Gray were trying to fight off members of the Eye of the Midnight Sun. Uh, We see that character now. Uh, and uh, he's got very long, scraggly hair. And yes, he does talk really, really slowly. Uh, and he starts to introduce himself. And then Gauch is just like, wow, this guy talks slowly. Hey, who are you? Where are you, why, why are you in our hideout? And he's like, well. And then everyone's like, hey, he was going to explain himself. You just interrupted him. And the Gauch is like, shut up. I'm completely on Gauch's side here. Like, look, not for nothing fucking talk faster like, <laughs> i've never i've never heard of a condition where you're just like i spend hours <laughs> getting and it's that that's like innately what's that, what's, just, that, what's that old joke the the society of people who who speak very slowly or something like that you know like the sloth joke in, in yeah Zootopia. i was gonna say that the sloth joke from zootopia is the why i go with where you're like eventually you would just start trying to finish their fucking sentences for them where you're like i don't have time for this <laughs> this is look if you just showed up and you were my best friend maybe this would be a different situation but you just popped out of my fucking guild out of nowhere so i definitely have questions who are you <laughs> are you vanessa <laughs> Uh, no, he's not Vanessa. <laughs> Although she might be hidden in his fucking hair. There's enough of it. Uh, so the uh, zombie creation hybrid thing that they have launches an attack at him and he moves the PR part of the building that he's on out of the way. Um, and uh, so he starts to introduce himself again. 
And while he's doing that, Gauch is lost in thought because he realizes that, oh, this must be the rumored ghost who rearranges the hideout that people think is the cause behind it. Um, there's also a very brief moment where Gauch is, is like, this guy's the ghost. And then Gordon's like, no, he's a living human. I'm positive. And Gauch says, how can you tell? It's like, that's random. Okay. Because I, there are birds in his hair. And only a person would have birds flock to them. Maybe it's hinting towards something that Gordon is capable of doing that we don't really have the context for yet. Um, yes, there are birds nesting in, in his hair because it's so long and thick. And Gouch seems to hold this against him because he says the jerk's keeping birds in his hair. He's done nothing but... He's done nothing to you yet. What's wrong with you, Gauch? Um, for some reason, the Eye of the Midnight Sun get really confident after seeing this demonstration. Thank you, Chris. I'm just a uh, <laughs> Keep yourself entertained. That's okay, buddy. <laughs> the Eye of the Midnight Sun somehow are emboldened by the demonstration of this guy's powers because they're like, if all you can do is shuffle the building around, you can't attack or defend. You're attacking the building, though. So yes, he can. Um, and, uh, yeah, he blocks the next attack that they launch and, uh, everyone realizes like, oh, he can actually directly manipulate the hideout and have it not just shift rooms around, but also move parts of the building and stuff. Like, yeah. Um, so we get an explanation from the guy, uh, we see how he first met Yami. Apparently Yami had heard about this mansion that had rumors of, oh, there's a ghost haunting it. And I was like, this place is pretty cool. Can I use this as my hideout for my guild? And he's like, well, I mean, if you wait a little bit, I'll die and you can just have it anyway because I have a disease and the only way I can survive it is if I can leech some mana off of really powerful mages. But, you know, that's way more trouble than I'm worth. So, you know, just come back a little bit later. And I was like, no, actually, I think that we'll just I'll just bring people here and then you can leech a little bit of mana off of them and I'll let them grow wild. You, you'll leech the excess mana and then that, you'll be able to live off of that. So, OK, works out. There is immediately a, a, a panel that I do like. It's a collage of, you know, the various black bulls, just their feet walking around in the hideouts, uh, which I think is a cool visual because it kind of looks like they're kind of converging on him. Um. This leads to him saying to himself, because he speaks to himself far more quickly than he speaks to other people, you probably don't know, but I know all of you. You probably don't know, but you're keeping me alive. You probably don't me, but you are my precious friends. And he finally introduces himself as Henry. Yeah, the minute I sign, try to attack again. Um, we see that the one who went inside has discovered the little artifacts that they got from uh, what Atlantis or whatever it was called. Uh, but then a trapdoor opens up under him and dumps him outside of the building and uh, everything shifts around and he turns the Black Bull's hideout into a giant mecha, which is pretty awesome, I actually have to say. And uh, that's where the chapter ends. So I'll give fair warning. I, I have very little to actually say about this chapter. Uh, and that's from a deliberate thing. I don't think I should have much to say in this chapter because fully and completely, I can't grasp the weight of this. 
I don't pay enough attention to Black Clover. You know, mm-hmm. my complaint easily could be like, oh, this guy's meant to be a big deal, but he hasn't shown up. But people are saying he has shown up in the background of several panels throughout the series run. He's apparently been in the background there. I haven't noticed it. You know, this is the sort of thing that pays off if you really have an interest in Black Clover and you've been following it for a while. You've probably been like, what's the mystery behind this guy? And seeing that get big payoff is probably really satisfying. But I'll be honest, I don't pay that much attention to Black Clover. So this guy has very little context to me. I don't really know who he is. He kind of shows up. The story's kind of out of nowhere. So, And I'm still trying to get used to, to Gordon, honestly. He's still the newest character of the Black Bulls to me. You know, even newer in my mind than than Zora, who I think is actually the newest member of the guild. Um, I don't dislike this or anything like that. I'm just noting I, I really don't have much of an opinion because I just this is this is something that like if next chapter of One Piece was all about Adam Wood, Nick could probably be like, "What's the importance of this one?" I'd be like, "Nick, don't you remember when Frankie built the Thousand Sunny? He got Adam Wood, which only comes from the New World. It's a very expensive one. It's said to be the strongest one in the world." You say so, Chris. <laughs> Adelise is probably going crazy about this chapter. It's just one that, as somebody who doesn't pay and you know, admittedly doesn't pay enough attention, I, I really just can't say anything on it. I don't know. I I feel as though the quirkiness of the Black Bulls hideout really should have been played up more if you were going to have that be revealed to be the doings of this secret character and have this reveal be a big thing. If the hideout had felt like it really had its own character. If they had spent more time in the hideout and you got to see more of this stuff happening. And I'm not like just like as a regular thing, as a stuff that had been in a break between series, maybe have like, you know, a couple of mini arcs where they have to actually, you know, go and explore this weird building and stuff. Maybe have a little bit dedicated to this supposed rumor of this ghost uh, going on so that this is something that is, kind of perpetually hang around in the background. Um, but in a way that it's much let much less dif- much more difficult rather to overlook that. And then doing this, I don't know, it's kind of weird because it's, it sort of demystifies things. It, it, it's like, okay, that one th- trait that their hideout had, well, another wizard was doing it. All right. Um, but I think that honestly, the biggest problem I have with this chapter is just that it happened right after the last one. Um, you have a chapter about, OK, these two minor characters in the Black Bulls. This is what the Black Bulls mean to them. And then you have this one, which is, is what the Black Bulls mean to him. It, it really takes away from the impact of both having them come one after the other. And honestly, you might as well not just not have had that part of the last chapter happen at all. Well, I, I do want to go because I, I do want to give credit to the series when credit's due. This chapter, I think, is very important to follow those because this is a, a continuation to that story, which was uh, Gordon and Gray want to be friends of more of the guild, but they can't because of their own innate whatever reasons they're shy. But this was a revelation to be like, hey... Without realizing it, you both have a very good friend within the guild itself. And Henry, who's always admired you from far away and, and is, you know, always happy for your for your appearance there. It is it is meant to connect with that, and I do get that. It's just one of those things where, again, we get so little of Grey and nothing of Gordon that it's, it's tough to, like, you want to innately give this moment to them because they have so few of those, especially Gordon, who we... This is literally the first thing he's done in the guild. Like, every mm-hmm. other scene he's had, I believe, has just been a scene of him being, like, teamed up with someone else going out on an adventure and getting no real context for who he is. So, 
you know, it's a little bit there, but I, I will say at least does it, it does connect into the story they were trying to tell over this, this divergent story arc here. And Hey, I do really like Henry's thing. Honestly, the idea of a character who is isolated within this building, he's not well enough to really go outside, but his magic is built around manipulating that hideout and, you know, moving the building around. I think that's really cool. And it's a different type of magic that we have seen thus far in the series. Uh, I just have some problems with the exact way the exact way that this happens in the course of everything. Yeah. Okay. Let's finish up with one piece. Chapter 891. They believe in me. Chris, why is Leo standing on that dog's back? Uh, Because he he is looking for Paro, obviously. (laughs) He's trying to find him and he's he's trying to, you know, talk to that dog to find out more information. I will get him dog peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Chris, another Charlotte simply gets introduced. (laughs) Oh, Nick, this is a good one, though. This is my favorite, maybe, that we've gotten. Oh, yeah. Nick, this is a very important fact. Do we just want to skip ahead to it? Skip ahead to what? Her getting introduced or yeah, what? Yeah. Uh, Nothing really happens in the previous page. It's just like, oh, the rich people are observing stuff. I don't really care about that. Let's talk about the the the, the super young sister. Yes. Here. So the super young sister shows up who mentions she, she's Katakuri's, uh, or she's the youngest sister, or not the youngest sister, sorry. She is of the 41 older brothers she have, 40 of whom selected her for best sister's award which is a very strange title. It sounds a little sexual, not entirely comfortable with that. And apparently Katakuri is highly admired by all the little sisters and not to mention every little last brother. So she has many rivals to try to get his attention and all that. So I guess the only brother who hasn't considered her the favorite sisteress is, is Katakuri. So she is truly the favorite sister, the woman who will be king of the little sisters 33rd daughter of Charlotte, age 15, Charlotte Flampe, president of the Katakuri fan club and Suicide Squad Captain Nick. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. DC has definitely been slyly working with Sonin Jump to get this happening, Nick. And I think this was obviously a chapter they've been waiting for as we get the full first time reveal of what Suicide Squad 2 is going to look like. I, I got a poster for it. You can check it out now. It's going to be, obviously we got Flaupe in there. She's going to be part of it. It's going to be a prequel. That's why Slipknot's so big. He's basically going to be the main character of it. <laughs> sort of like a Deadshot wasn't the captain of the squad the first time. That was that was Flag, but he was still the big character. That's going to be Slipknot this time. Booster Gold's going to be in it too. I wanted to get someone fun in there. <laughs> So this is going to be a real Suicide Squad, Nick. I'm super pumped about this. This is why you're excited about this, because they happen to have Suicide Squad in the ti- in her titles. That is 100%. She goes on a two-page rant about how she will be king of the Little Sisters. And then when you took away from her, look, it says she's the Suicide Squad captain. Isn't that kind of funny? I don't know why. I was like, she's part of the Suicide Squad. Yes! I want all the Suicide Squad jokes we can make now, Nick. This is perfect. A random bit of uh, trivia. Apparently, Oda fucked up 
in naming which daughter she is because he intended for this character to be younger than Pudding. Hmm. Makes sense. Okay. So I'm, anyway, I'm the entire reason that she is there is to then say, it's like, I hope the Katakuri wins. <laughs> I am leaving this picture up, by the way. I want everyone to admire it. <laughs> oh, gosh. So Luffy is still not doing very good. Uh, and uh, Katakuri is still beating him up. We get this uh, pretty c- cool sequence where... Um, Basically, things are clear on Kakuri's side, but occasionally Luffy will have this very small bit of hope, and then Kakuri tries to squash it. There's actually a really weird moment uh, where he launches him with a kick into the wall and then kind of traps him in the ball of mochi against the wall. So you see Luffy struggling inside of it for a second, and then stop, and then he just bursts out the other side of the wall instead. <laughs> That's kind of a cool bit. Um... And then we get this sequence where uh, a lot of things happen very quickly. And then Katakuri explains what he did um, with, you tried to stand, I swept you off your feet. You tried a left punch, so I hit your left shoulder. You tried a right punch, so I hit your right shoulder. The result is that you are a useless fool who feels nothing but frustration. This is what happens when I can read your actions ahead of time. So he's back in full control, centered himself, he's all zen. But Luffy has a moment of reflection. He remembers back to his training with Raleigh and he counters a punch that uh, Katakuri launches with his Moshi, with the giant fist uh, cast out of the air. And Katakuri realizes that very infrequently Luffy is actually capable of seeing the future, too. So it's uh, this is an interesting thing that this fight has become because it's this character who's you know introduced as basically just being stronger Luffy and it's pushing Luffy to his limits and forcing him to evolve and get stronger. It's forcing him to go ultra instinct, you could say. I guess you could say that. It's what's gonna happen. He's gonna he's I, gonna uh, get he's gonna get the music, he's gonna power up, everyone's gonna be like, I guess Jero's a cool character. I don't know, he didn't say anything. It's gonna be very cool. I wouldn't personally say that he is, but I guess you could. And then maybe Zoro will show up and he'll get really angry and he'll limit break past his Super Saiyan Blue. And I think everyone should start calling it Super Saiyan uh, Bishonin, but no one else will. But he definitely looks Super Bishonin when he does it, so that's my fan name for it. And Gohan better not get punked out this week. Those are all my complex thoughts on Super. So that was our Dragon Ball Super recap portion of (laughs) the Micro Recap. We should add that in. I feel like it's no. a good spot. <laughs> I don't watch it, Chris. <laughs> at least let me freaking watch it if you want to do it. <laughs> no, no, you, just watch, you just talk about it on your own like you just did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on Beige's ship, uh, they finished the cake. It's, uh, yeah, that, that that is a very large cake, all right. There is a graveyard layer for some reason, too. Um, so putting and all the other shifts just collapse because of all the effort that they've been exerting into it. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone kind of celebrates briefly and puttings, you know, evil, sadistic side comes out again, you know, 
point out, I was like, hey, one well, of your friends are already dead. There's no way that, that there's no guarantee that mom's going to love the cake. And I like how she kind of ends this Lauren grant that she launches at Sanji with this you know, evil cackle and stuff with deer. Um, I don't know. Uh, then we have this moment where Sanji and Luffy kind of sync up while talking about two different things. You know, Sanji says, uh, they think I'll make the, the, you know, my, my friends think that I'll make the greatest cake ever and use it to stop big mom. And then Luffy is saying to Katakuri, they think I'll beat you and appear in the mirror. They believe in me. They both say they believe in me together. It's just kind of, it's something that I hadn't really thought of before. It's like, oh yeah, these two guys are fighting the two most important members of big mom's group in very different ways while they're off on their own, separated from the rest of the straw hats. It's weird, but yes, Luffy's fist fight with Katakuri and Sanji delivering a cake are the two biggest fights going on in this manga. Well, it's also worth knowing that Sanji too is, it's not just as simple as baking a cake for him too. It's all about like transporting the cake and decorating and things like that. Like there's been a struggle to have, like, you know, Getting we have to remember pound, pound, yeah. pound gave his life to get that cake over there. So this is a very intense thing. Mm. Quote unquote gave his life. He's dead. <laughs> Never coming back. I'm not gonna do that for him. <laughs> I was doing that for years. <laughs> Who who's more likely, if you were to give a percentages, who's more likely to come back? Pound or Pedro? Probably Pedro. I would say Pound. We've seen the father figure show back up in those sorts of situations before. I don't know, it's tough. Pedro had a kind of fatherly relationship with Carrot. Sure. Oh no, I felt like being dismissive there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so and that's basically where the chapter ends. Um, things seem to be coming to a head because uh, we see that Big Mom actually smells the cake at the end. Um, yeah, unfortunately, One Piece is uh, not going to have a chapter next week, which sucks. I don't think that anything else important happens. Stupid fucking... Oh, we do get a glimpse at the end there where we see Chopper's gone monster form. Monster point, I think. Um, you know, Brooke has this line about witness the tremendous volume of an emperor's soul. It looks like they're all going to try to go all out to try to stop this attack or at least give everything. Yeah, she's, so much, she's made Prometheus go super huge fireball. Like, his fireball is bigger than the actual Thousand Sunny is. So. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, everything is coming to a head, which of course means that yes, One Piece has to take a week off before we get a big chapter. Yeah, no, I'm digging it. So that is going to do it then. So uh, let's talk about what we like this week: our uh, favorite chapters and our MVPs. Uh, so I guess I can get rid of the Suicide Squad two trailer uh, image there. My favorite chapter this week, I'm going to give to uh, Dr. Stone. I love that chapter. I like what we got there. It's a very inspiring kind of a moment there with his, his dad connecting with him. So I really dug it. Uh, I'm going to go with Dr. Stone as well. Um, I really like the uh, little story of uh, the relationship between Senku and his father. And uh, it was a very short little tale, but it's, I don't know, it struck something with me. Um, just, I guess, just a very simple and effective story. Uh, my MVP is going to be Pero the dog. 
something about it. I don't know. He's only there for like five panels or something like that. But something about the idea that the dog was overstressed from being from uh, from Bihar's perfectionism and ran away, but left a note which ended in arf. I don't know. That, that just was just such a perfect little thing for me. I don't. It, it really got me. Nick, I'm supposed to be like the over emotional wuss bag of this show. You can't encroach on my territory. I did it because it was funny. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, my character week, I'm going to give it to... It was clearly the funniest joke that we had this week. I'm going to give it to uh, Byakuya Ishigami. I, I thought that he was just a, a really enlightening character to kind of see. I just I like seeing supportive dads in, in series. Mm. And I'm really excited to see one in, in Dr. Stone. And I, I'm, I'm preemptively putting this in because I know that motherfucker's going to break my heart when I find out what the Senku Ishigami story is is that he, he sent off to the Generations going forward i think it's gonna be kind of i think it's gonna be really funny if next week that does like no no chris that was the story <laughs> i'm like that was weird it was all about him <laughs> no no it was you know he inspired me to do better that was the story i'm like and then i did a great thing <laughs> maybe it is i mean it seems weird it seems like a very big story about himself <laughs> Uh, all right, that is going to do it. Then we're going to wrap up here. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We do the show on smashcast.tv slash and twitch.tv slash generally around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursdays. Uh, however, sometimes things change. We need to change the location we're streaming or we need to move to a different time to stay updated on that kind of stuff. You should follow us on social media. On Twitter, the official podcast account is at WMR Podcast, and your hosts are at Roloti and at Nick F Time, N I K F T I M E. You can check out our past episodes on Weekly Manga Recap at Bobbean.com, as well as on YouTube and iTunes. And uh, if you check us out on those latter two, be sure to subscribe, comment, rate, all that good stuff, so that you can help us become kings of the hobby section and reign over those disgusting woodworkers. You know what the woodworkers had to say about your mom last night? All of your moms. It's shame. We, we dare not repeat it, but. Mm. Filthy. Talk, if about you have... how, talk about how they smish your moms and everything like that. <laughs> With their wooden thighs. <laughs> Uh, if you want to send us any feedback, ask us a question for a Q&A episode, or suggest a future manga for us to read, you can send all of that stuff via email to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. Also, we want to give some special thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Your support allows us to do all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Absolutely. Uh, special thanks, by the way, to Waylon Revels. Your support is greatly appreciated. It helps us out. I'll give you a fist bump or some support. Um, and by the way, uh, we've gotten several messages over the past couple days of people who, because finances are, are tight for them, you know, have sent us a message saying, Hey, I can't, you know, support for a little while. just wanted to let you know. And I'm always eternally grateful when we get a message like that. It's always, it's always, you know, it's very nice to hear that people care that much. Uh, it's always something though that I'll say, you know, feel free to do what you need to. You know, you don't need to send us a message saying like, hey, I can't support for this month or, or whatever. Times are tough. You know, we, we 100% get that. Uh, the support that you're able to give is always appreciated. And more than anything, I hope that while times are tough, that 
they're brief and that our show is able to help you out through those times. Mm-hmm. I basically say this because I don't know how to respond to those those messages. I try to leave a response, but I always feel like I can't fully grasp just the level of appreciation I have for those people and everybody who supports us. Um, but I, I just want to know. It, it, it feels like something I need to put a response to that I just cannot find the right way to say it. But know that I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. It is not an obligation to help us out financially. It is something that we do heavily appreciate. But honestly, we just really heavily appreciate the fact that you guys keep on showing up and listening to us and that we can help you out. Immensely. And uh, also, Steve Mann and Infamous Planet, you know, thanks, I guess. You know, <laughs> We don't have anything heartfelt for you guys, though. You yeah, know. I don't know. Infamous. Fuck him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Another form. And on that very sincere note, <laughs> we're going to call it here. And uh, <laughs> Sundare Gang Orca says, goodbye. That would sound like I'll miss you or anything. <laughs> you pieces of fish poop. <laughs> <laughs> you were this fish poop scum.